So uh, some of you have probably already turned to Psalm 13, uh, but I'm not going to be there today. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 1, I decided just to go back to um, really to go back to the gospel uh, and, and, and try to clearly unpack that for you. Sometimes what we try to do is have a Christ centered message regardless of where we are in the text, because we know that all the promises of God find their fulfillment in Christ. And so as we move through any text of Scripture, we say, how is God redeeming us or how is he revealing that to us? Uh, Today, though, I thought um, after meeting with a guy this last week, it was just it's just a reminder to me that uh, sometimes uh, we we forget uh, what the gospel is or forget to present it in a very clear way. And so sometimes we need to go back to that. Uh, oftentimes when I'm sitting down with someone and it could be from like they're they're wanting to get married and, and they want to talk to me about uh, getting married and that kind of thing. Uh, I immediately go and sit down and we work through the gospel or it may be someone comes to me and they say, hey, I want to learn more about the Bible. I'll start with the gospel. And I try to do that over and over and I actually spend a lot of time laying that foundation because that is the foundation that we're where we need to start and sometimes if someone has been a believer for a while uh, and they may not still be able to articulate the gospel they may believe in Christ uh, have trusted in him followed him in baptism and moved on but they still can't explain it and I think it would be a, a dangerous place to be if we as a church and you as an individual if you were to try to explain this to people and you couldn't, that, that's scary to me. That is frightening because it is something that sometimes somebody can tell you, oh, yeah, I've trusted in the Lord, but they don't know how to explain that to someone. And you should be able to do that. It should be a regular thing in your life that you want to share with others of the hope that you have in a way that they could understand. And so hopefully today, I and mean, this is something, like I said, I've done many times, uh, sometimes in my office, sometimes in a coffee shop, sometimes just talking with people. It's a way that I think about uh, how to present the gospel that I feel like makes a lot of sense. Um, some people, when they're presenting the gospel, start with sin. I, I know some, uh, and, and they're not bad ministries and stuff, but they start with, uh, have you, you understand sin? And so they may bring the law of God to you and say, hey, you're a, a sinner and, and I'm going to show you why. And that's where they begin. Uh, some begin just saying, hey, all you need to do is, is preach Jesus. And so they start with Jesus and they say, look, he saved you from your sins. Uh, I think that the further we go in our country uh, away from like the foundations being built in the lives of people, the more you're going to have to begin with God and then re- show them who God is, who we are as sinners, what Christ has done, and how we must respond in repentance and faith. And so that's what we'll do today. Almost every time that I sit down with somebody, I start with God is holy. And then I say man is sinful. And then I'll say Christ Jesus is Savior and Lord. And we must respond by repenting and believing in that gospel. And so I do that over and over and over. That might be helpful for you. And so that's kind of how I do it. Now, we're going to be in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. We'll start there. This, a lot of people say, is a summary of Romans uh, in, in a brief statement. But it, I think it's helpful to start there. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we begin there. We say, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. It is the good news that Christ came to save us from our sins. That is the good news. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So it moves to that place where it says, how do we enter into or experience this salvation? How do we get that? How do we come to a place where we... um, Enter into it. It says for everyone who believes. And that's going to be really clear throughout Paul's argument. It's not through everyone who works. It's through through those who believe. And so it's not based upon man's ability to save himself. But rather God saving the man. So for, for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Again we're going to move fast. And so I'm not going to explain everything there. We could just say it's to the whole world. Both Jew and Gentile or Jew and Greek. We see for in it the righteousness of God. Like we could say even maybe the rightness of God. The perfection of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written the righteous shall live by faith. We enter into the the glorious message of the gospel by faith. That is the channel we travel down. And so he is saying, and that's what Paul's going to do. He's going to lay out the gospel of grace that is entered into by faith. Now, let's move forward. So we said, I usually start with, okay, this is the good news. Now let me tell you some bad news, right? One thing, one piece that is, is good news and bad news is that God is holy. That's a wonderful thing and a frightening thing, Right? And so 118, let's look at that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, when we see here like the wrath of God, we, we see that God hates sin, right? And so we say that that reveals that he's holy. He is perfect and he must judge sin because he is perfect and he has a perfect and holy standard. All, all times when people don't meet that standard, every time you see someone outside of what would be godly and righteous, God's wrath is upon them. And so he is a holy God. He is a holy God. That, listen, he's a holy God that created the universe and all those who all of those who are created by him, his creatures who live in rebellion against him, him they're under his wrath. The, the Bible really explains to us that we are under his wrath and curse by virtue of being human. We are born into Adam. And that's what you see if you were to study Romans chapter five. We were born in Adam and therefore the whole human race is under sin. But we're also sinners by nature. We, we are naturally uh, moving away from God, running away from Him. And not only that, it says that we, in their unrighteousness, they, they, they're sinners by choice. So, so they're almost like sinners by inheritance, sinners by nature, sinners by choice. And God's wrath is upon them. He is, he, you could say there's a holy anger against them. They, there's a settled disposition against all of humanity in rebellion against God. For what can be known about God is plain to them. So, so the deal is, is that, that people could see, just they could observe who God is and yet they're suppressing the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Paul's argument here is all of humanity is under the wrath of God because they suppress the truth about God and they reject Him and they live in rebellion against Him even though they can see in this world just from their natural perception that God is and that He he created. And it's kind of one of those things where you see a creation, you know there's a Creator. If you suppress that truth about Him, you're in violation of the honor and glory that He deserves. That, that's kind of the picture here. It, all these things are seen in the world, and yet they are in rebellion against him, him completely. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They are living as if He does not exist. They're suppressing the truth about Him. And they become... Futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They are taking the knowledge that's very clear to them of who God is and what He's done. They're suppressing that truth and they're worshiping the created order. And you might say, well, I've never made an idol and crafted it to look like a bird and bowed down to it. But there are ways that in fallen humanity, all of the time, all around us are worshiping the creation rather than the creator. You see it over and over. Any time that you put your life and your existence and your focus and your dreams and your passions in something other than God, when He is not the central focus of your life and everything else that you can see is, in a way, you built an idol. That's become the focus. It can be your children. It can be your work. It can be any aspect of your life. It can be the next item that you buy. That you say, I will give everything for it, and if I lost it, it would devastate me. That, that, that's, that's an issue. And so he's saying the wrath of God is against all of humanity because they are living in rebellion against God. And they're rebelling against what they see before they ever heard the word of God. Without ever hearing anything from the Bible, they can observe it. And you can too. And you suppress that truth and you worship the created order instead of God. You're claiming to be wise, but you're a fool. And so we see that on display. Now, verse 24, a judgment of God we see. Therefore, God gave them up. And again, what do we say? God is holy. He must judge sin. God is holy. He must judge sin. And so we are under his wrath and curse. And you notice in here, God gave them over the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason... God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men receiving in themselves the due penalty for their 
error. You see what's happening here. You're looking at a culture that is deconstructing, a culture that has rejected a God, a culture that rejects the order that he designed, a culture that begins to embrace what ought not be done, natural for unnatural. Naturally, men and women were made for one another. It is very clear in anatomy alone. And not only that, for the procreation of the human race. You have to have men and women. It is part of the natural design. When you suppress the truth about the creator God designing the world in the way in which he said he designed it and and very naturally seen and you reject that, your foolish heart begins to pursue perversions of God's design. That is a perversion. Men wanting men, women wanting women is a perversion of God's design. And nature alone tells you that it screams that at you. And as you suppress the truth and you reject that, then what happens? A culture is really what you'll see is instead of culture making, you are culture destroying and you're in rebellion and you're under the wrath of God and you must repent. That's, it's, this is a call to say, hey, all of humanity is under bondage. So, again, I don't always lay all this. Out. That's what I do in a coffee shop. Just like that. I stand up. People are like, that dude's insane. No, no. But I'm sitting down and I'm just trying to help someone say you are under the wrath and curse of God. Now, here's what here's what happens. Some people might say, well, I don't struggle with that. But if you move down, verse 28 through 32, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Now, do you notice the things that are not to be done? If you look, you need to read that list because if you're like self-righteously sitting there going, yes, yes, I can't believe what's going on in our country right now. I can't believe these people. Notice what it says. They were filled with all unmanners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If you don't feel the weight of that list, you're a nut. Like you don't have it all together. You're not thinking very clearly. That, that list begins to say, hold on just a second. You just moved to a level that I don't like to deal with. There are five or six in there I don't want to deal with. And I'm saying it's a sign that you are living in rebellion against God. Notice what happens. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. And that's what happens. You spend time with people who are suppressing the truth about God in his just even in the world that he's created. They will suppress that truth and they will reinvent what is right and what is wrong. And when they do that, they think they're getting away with it. And God, it doesn't work that way. You don't get away with it because his wrath is against all of rebellion in all of humanity everywhere. There's no distinction. Now, 
if you are really religious and you're really happy to see this on display like the Jews were in the time uh, that, that Paul would be writing, he knew in their thoughts that they had received the law of God. And so there was some level of morals among them. And so maybe they felt like they were okay. But if you go on down to chapter two, verse three, he says, do you suppose, O man, speaking of maybe you could say the religious Jew, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. It's almost like saying you think you're good. You think you're going to carry your bag of righteous acts up to heaven and say, I'm good. The problem is that God sees your heart. He, you may not be outwardly out there living this wildly rebellious life, but God knows what's in your heart. And He knows those actions that you take in the darkness, behind uh, closed doors, and how you treat people. He knows that. God can see that. And you think you're going to escape? You think you will escape the, 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 the judgment of God because you somehow think that you have this form of religious kind of picture that you've got on display and so you're going to church and doing your thing and you're going to escape? How will you escape? God is holy. He must punish sin and you are a sinner. A desperately wicked sinner. Romans chapter 3. Verse 10. <clears throat> For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He is saying all of humanity, both Jew and Greek, both religious and irreligious, both uh, you could say like the, the prodigal son and the righteous brother, all of them will stand before the judgment of God bankrupt. They have nothing to bring. And so he says, God, we see God is holy, man is sinful, and it's he, across the board. Romans 3, 23. In case you're still not convinced. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. No one stands there not condemned. So if you left somebody with that, they are hopeless. It is the most hopeless picture that you could possibly ever paint. That there is a holy God and that we are sinful humanity and there is no possible way to be reconciled. I cannot do good. And I talked to a guy the other day and I said, listen, even if right now you did perfect acts for the rest of your life, you did everything right for the rest of your life, you will not make up for all the evil that you've done. And even if you don't do something bad for the rest of your life, as if that were possible, in your mind you will sin every day. You are hopeless. You are, you are the most hopeless individual on the face of the earth. If that was the whole message. 
That is not good news if that's the whole message. And I think sometimes people think that they're scared of the devil. You under, listen, the one who is going to punish those who live in rebellion against God for the rest of their lives into eternity, for the rest of eternity, is the holy God. He's the one who puts people in hell, and he does so justly. But, see that in chapter 3, verse 21. But, so good, that is a good thing. Like, that wasn't there. It's bad news. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see that? We don't have time to go into the full argument here, but it's just to say that, and, and Paul's going to explain this later, that even all the law that was given to humanity, that, that even though it was bear witnessing to Jesus, it did not serve to save you. It just revealed how desperately wicked you were, and you are. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, how can you be right with God? How could someone, how could there be a holy God and, a, and sinful humanity, and, and how could they be reconciled? How could they, they be made right? It has to happen apart from man, apart from his ability to fix himself and change himself. It's the righteousness of God that's come. And the righteousness of God is Jesus that came. And the way that we enter into and experience the blessing of that, it says, is through faith. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is open to all. Although all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all those who will believe, all those who trust in Jesus and for His righteousness, they will be saved. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How is someone saved? By their own works? Is that true here? No, it is by grace. You see that? It is by grace. You are saved by grace. It is a gift from God. God sent His Son as a gift to fallen humanity so that all who will believe and repent and trust in Christ will be saved. That's what He's saying. It is a gift from God. Although we were all sinners in rebellion, now a gift has come. Jesus Christ came to this earth while continuing to be God. He became man. He lived the life that we could never live and died the death that we deserve so that we could enter into relationship through faith. We enter into relationship with Him and we get the benefits of what He accomplished. That's the gospel. That's what we preach. That's what distinguishes us from all other people in the world. All other religions, we preach a gospel that God came to save man, not man saved himself. Now notice what it says, that we are justified. That means we're made right with God by his grace as a gift, again, 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to redeem us. It has the idea of a slave uh, trade in a sense where he is purchasing us, purchasing us out of the slave market by his own blood. It's what it cost him. And so we need to get that in our minds and you'll see this. It says <clears throat> who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation has the idea of satisfying the wrath of God. We said God is holy. He is going to punish sin. You are under his wrath and curse because you are a desperately wicked sinner. But Christ came and he came to make us right with God because, and, and how did he do that? He did that by dying on the cross for us. By paying the penalty that we should have paid. He satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. How do we enter in? How do you and I enter into this message of the gospel? We enter in by faith. That's what we come. We trust in what Christ accomplished. We are not trusting in what we accomplished. Our standing with God is based upon what Christ did on the cross. Now, again, we can't look at every little thing, but I just want you to see. And, and by the way, in chapter four, this is what's going to happen in chapter four. And you see this in Genesis. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God declared him right because he trusted it's by faith that he entered into the promise God made his argument again in Romans four. David trusted God. It's not by their works, but by Christ's work. They are trusting in the promise that God would save them. And that's been the story from the Genesis on. It is trusting in God as the one who justifies us. God who is the one that declares us right. And it costs something. It costs His Son. I want you to see Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what we're saying is God is holy. Man is sinful. Christ Jesus is both Savior and Lord. We are trusting in his work and his work alone. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Again, we see here, we are enemies. We've been reconciled through the Son. It's very, very important. Now, I want you to go back up. I want to show you um, a couple of other. Well, let's go on to Romans 6.23. Just because, again, I'm just laying this out. When I sit down with people over and over and over, just try to present to them, God is holy, man is sinful, Christ Jesus is both Savior and Lord. Romans 6, 23. <clears throat> For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See that? Again, just over and over, building the case that we are made right with God by faith. It's not just faith in faith. It is faith in Jesus Christ and what He accomplished for us. Now, Romans 5, one. This is where we see we must repent and believe. Romans five one. 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means made right with God by faith. We, we are in right standing with God by faith. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that idea of peace is we were his enemy. We were under his wrath. We had no hope. We were, de- we were sinners by nature and choice and inheritance. We are hopeless. And yet, we are now made right with God because of the Son. Through Him, notice verse 2, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Obtained access has the idea of being separated outside the walls of the city and brought in or, or outside the walls of the kingdom, you might say, or outside of the, 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 the temple or outside of the, um, the, the king's palace and we've been brought in. We have access now. And you think about that. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two. Why? It was saying we have access. We've been reconciled to God. How do we get reconciled to God? We come by faith in Christ. We turn to Him as our only hope. We trust in nothing of ourselves. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. That's the the message. That we hear over and over and over through the Bible. Romans 10, 9 and 10. I just want you to see this. We are to repent and believe. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. (coughs) For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a this is like earth shattering. And some of us, we, we spend our time like in the, maybe you've grown up in church. And so you forget the, the, the amazing like story flying that's being unfolded before you. But I mean, it is like it's just one of the most shocking things to imagine is that a holy God. Who justly could punish all of humanity into hell for their rebellion, sent his son. To die for us. A wayward people. Rebels. In every way. He sent his son to die for us. His son lived and died. So that we. Could receive the benefits of relationship. Again with God. He restored order. He brought everything. um, Under uh, his dominion. One day he's going to return and set up forever his kingdom. This is just a shocking message. And, I, and that it changes everything in your life. Everything. It, it's, it's, it's a, to be reconciled to God is to, for, for the first time maybe for some of you, it will be like I, I'm finally alive. And you might say, well, you know, I believe all that. Jared, I've been hearing that my whole life. And I, I, there's one other thing I usually try to add. 
how has this gospel changed your life? It's one thing to say, I mean, you know, like we we say to people a lot, like the demons believe. The demons believe and they shudder over the fact that they know Jesus is Lord. They, they believe this God, this message in a way intellectually they understand it. They just don't yield to it. So I would say to you today, I don't know where you are, but I just would say <clears throat> Those who have truly believed this message have been transformed. The, the reason that someone would believe it in the first place throughout the Bible, and I, I think Romans, we don't have time to unpack all that, but throughout the Bible, it's because they've been born again. It means the Spirit of God takes a dead person and brings them to life. First John says that you've been born of God, and, and it, then it shows the evidences of the new birth. What I would say is, is what we see in the process... <laughs> is that the gospel comes to someone by the power of the Spirit. They're brought to new life. They repent and believe this wonderful message, and it changes their life forever. So I would say to you, I don't know where you are today, but I would say, as the Scripture would say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I would say if you're someone that says, oh, I believe, I believe, I believed all my life. It's never changed anything in your life, but I believed it my whole life. I would say, what kind of belief? A belief of, of, of true saving faith, of repentance and faith towards God. A belief that's given you a desire to live for Him, to serve others, to give your life in service to the church. A belief that makes you want to obey His Word. If not, it's not a, it's not a biblical belief. It's not saving faith. And I would ask you to pray to God that He would give you a changed heart. And, and, I, and I would call upon you again, like I said today, to repent and believe this message. If you don't, you will be eternally damned justly. God will send you to hell and you will be there and it will be just for him to do so. But if you do believe all the benefits of Christ, his status, his position, his relationship with the Father will be yours. All that he accomplished is offered to you So I ask you today, repent and believe this gospel. And one other thing, if you are a Christian and you do never share this with people, something wrong. There's something wrong with what what is going on in you that you would have this message and you never want to speak it. You don't want to share it. You feel no weight upon you to carry it to the ends of the earth. What a frightening place to be. That the creator and redeemer of the universe would offer to you a salvation that would change your eternal destiny and that you would just turn aside from everyone else and say, I've got it. It does not matter what happens to everyone else. I hope you'll repent of that today if you are in that case. In Christ's name. Let's pray.